KFUO.org. My name is David Schmidt, and it is great. So let's uh, open with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to bring us to faith and to guide us in life. We pray that you would send your Spirit to be among us this morning to open our ears and our minds, that we might attend to those things that are needful, that you might shape us to be the people that are needed in your mission in this world. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So we are in Luke, picking up where we ended last time in chapter 8, verse 4. So if you have one of those Bibles, it's page 1023, Luke chapter 8, picking up at verse 4. Now, if you remember last time, uh, we ended with a listing of names of women who were providing hospitality to Jesus. And uh, Pastor Wade made the point, which I thought was excellent, that um, the traveling ministry of Jesus involved crowds following him, and the crowds needed to be fed. And there were women of means who would follow Jesus, who would provide hospitality for those crowds. And something to be interested to think about is, uh, that's what we heard last time. Today, we're going to look at a parable, and most of the emphasis on that parable is on hearing. So you have hospitality, and you have hearing. We're going to spend all of our time on hearing, but these two go together in Luke. When Jesus sends out the 70 later in chapter 10, he tells them not to be concerned about hospitality, who opened the hearts of the people in the homes that he visits, so they'll put him up. They'll feed the disciples, and then the disciples can speak the word that everyone would hear. In chapter 10, you have Mary and Martha. Remember Mary and Martha? You have hospitality in Martha. You have hearing with Mary. Hospitality and hearing. Now, the problem is sometimes we emphasize one more than the other. So sometimes we emphasize the hospitality so much that we forget about the hearing. So we have so much fun engaging in our donuts <laughs> that we don't stay and listen. We don't stay in here, right? So you got the hospitality of not hearing, or you're like, hey, they, they stop hearing my favorite donut. I'm not going to come back anymore, right? So you got the, the hospitality that supports the hearing. And sometimes we so emphasize the hearing that we don't care about the hospitality. And then you have churches that are doing an excellent job of preaching the Orthodox Word of God, but nobody goes because they're just nasty. <laughs> they're not hospitable. So hospitality and hearing go together. Today, we're going to look at the hearing. And so starting at verse 4 in chapter 8, while a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on rock, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. 
When he said this, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So this is an act of Jesus' teaching. And we're so familiar with the parable of the sower that we probably don't recognize how strange this really is. We're told that Jesus has crowds gathered about him, and he chooses to teach in a parable. He chooses to teach in a parable. In fact, they've said that one-third of the teaching of Jesus is in parables. One-third of his teaching is in parables. And so we're going to think a little bit about parables. What is a parable? And then why is Jesus teaching in parables? So what is it and what is its function, right? So what is it? I think some of us are familiar. We have the saying about parables. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, right? Now, scholars kind of frown on that definition, but that's just because it takes away their job, right? You know, if everybody knows, then what am I going to teach you, right? So I, I kind of think it's a good definition. It's a good foundation because it's saying you have two things. You have something earthly and something heavenly. The earthly story is something that you understand, you're familiar with. And have you ever heard the saying that familiarity breeds what? Contempt, right? Because you're familiar with it, you think you know everything there is to know about it. And so Jesus tells a story, it's about some guy sowing, and you're like, yeah, 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 I know all about that. He's concealing the secrets of the kingdom in a story that you think you know everything about. So it's an earthly story, but there's a heavenly meaning. There's a reason he's teaching, and that's not readily apparent. Now, when I, was, um, when I was a vicar in Detroit, there was one member of the congregation. He was a very gracious elderly gentleman who, when I was making mistakes, would come up to me and he'd say, now, vicar, when I was a kid in Alabama, and then he'd tell some story that had absolutely nothing in my mind to do with what was at hand. But what that man was trying to do was trying to advise me. He didn't speak directly. That would be insulting, but he spoke in a folksy story. And I realized after I spent a year there, I realized that the more I needed to be corrected, the longer that story would be <laughs> so that I wouldn't feel like he was correcting me and have a sense of shame. So we've got this this dynamic of a, of a story that's told, we think we understand what it means, but there's a deeper meaning involved. Now, now a little bit more technical of a definition, a little bit more technical of a definition, uh, tries to answer how do you get from the earthly story to the heavenly meaning? What, what clues you in that it's really not about sowing? How do you get that? And so here's the more technical definition. It's by C.H. Dodd. He's a New Testament scholar, wrote a book in 1961, has a technical definition of a parable. He says a parable is a metaphor or simile drawn from common life or nature, arresting the hearer by its vividness or strangeness. So it's a story from common life 
that arrests the hearer, catches us off guard because it's vivid, it's strange. There's something that just doesn't quite fit. Arresting the hearer by its vividness or strangeness, the meaning of which is significantly in doubt to tease the mind into active thought. So what we're going to find is that we've got a story that we think we understand, but there's something that sticks out as strange, which then causes us to say, hmm, it can't really be about that. So last week, last week we had the, the woman with the, uh, the, the sinful woman who was anointing Jesus' feet with the oil, right? And Jesus is at a dinner. There's hospitality. A Pharisee is inviting him, but the hospitality is hypocritical, right? The Pharisee's inviting him, but the Pharisee's judging Jesus. This woman comes in, starts anointing his feet, and the Pharisee makes a judgment. Well, if this was a prophet, he'd know what kind of a woman that is, and he'd get away from her. And then Jesus does what? He tells a parable. He politely tells a story about a, a moneylender who had two people who owed money to him, and he forgave both of their debts. One owed a lot, one owed a little. And he says, which do you think would love him more? Now, now I was here last time, and the woman behind me, and, you know, I was one of those things you're kind of in a church Bible class, you don't want to look over your shoulder, thus they think you're being rude, you know. So I, I didn't look over my shoulder. I don't know who she was. She was sitting in that row where Lane is right there. She was sitting in that row. I know that much. She, she said, she said, why does Jesus use the word love? Who, who would love him more? And she said, you know, I wouldn't love the, the money lender if he forgave my debt. I'd, I'd be thankful. I'd have gratitude. But love, that's just an odd word. That's precisely the response you wanted to have. Because he uses this word, the strange word love. It doesn't fit. And yet it does fit because it invites you into a kingdom where you see a sinful woman expressing her love of Jesus, right? Because she has been forgiven much. And so there's going to be this strange thing in the story. So with this parable that we've just heard, this sower going out to sow, what are some things in the parable that are common life, that are natural, that, that make you think, I know what this is all about? Anybody? What are some things in there that make sense to us? Sowing seed, okay, that's kind of how we produce crops. Sowing seed makes sense to us. Anything else? Birds eating the seed, right, yeah. So I, I have this problem, right? I sow seed and then all of a sudden I see tons of birds in my front yard. <laughs> I'm like, what's going on? And they're like, no, you need to put straw with the seed. I'm like, oh, I didn't know. This is why you have an awful yard, okay? So you have the, the birds eating the seed, that makes sense to us. Anything else? Well, Right, yeah, right. And I always wonder, why can't my yard be like the cracks in the sidewalk, right? <laughs> because, because I grow great stuff in the cracks in my sidewalk, but my yard doesn't have it. So, so different areas of soil that produce different results. We've got the rocky soil. We know what it's like for the soil not to have moisture, the plant not to have moisture. We've got seed that we sow. The thorns choke it out. We've got birds eating the seed. All of this makes sense. What's the one thing that arrests the hearer? 
with its vividness or strangeness? What's the one thing that doesn't make sense? Anything strike you as strange? What? The weeds. Why are the weeds strange? What? Right, yeah. What is going on? Why are you throwing so much seed everywhere? It's this strange scattering of all of the seed. This is not how farmers plant crops. They don't just take the seed and waste it. I mean, it's almost, it's almost like wastefulness, right? And, you know, we're kind of judgy about wastefulness. We really are. I, you know, they, there's, there's what people call the clean plate club. Don't waste that food. Kids always have arguments with their parents. You got to finish eating the broccoli. I'm not going to eat the broccoli. There are people in China who are starving. We'll send it to them. You know, they have these pints, right? We have this, this thing about wastefulness. And because we are interested in good stewardship, somebody who liberally, liberally just throws seed everywhere when anyone who has any common sense would know that the stuff that goes on the path is going to be eaten by birds, the stuff in the rocks is going to die with lack of moisture, the stuff in the thorns is going to get choked out. Anybody who has common sense would know nobody does that. What kind of an idiot is the sower? That's the strange thing. That then causes us to say, you know what? This is probably not about agriculture. It's probably not about sowing seeds. So that then causes the response of the disciples, picking up at verse 9. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. Oh, it is a challenge, right? It's like, why should I listen to you? You don't make any sense. What world did you come from? Right, yeah. So, it's, so you've got this challenge that I'm supposed to hear, but what you're saying doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I mean, I think, I, I think we're using the same language for each of them, aren't we? It's just kind of some was here, some was there, some was there. And okay, well, you're being very gracious to the sower. <laughs> and that's good. Charity is a wonderful virtue to have. <laughs> Well, I mean, it depends on, you know, it de depends on what you think is happening. Right, right, yeah, yeah. So there's, there's a very liberal sowing of the seed, which is illogical to us. Right, and you hope it grows, you want it to grow. And then Jesus, after this story, says, he who has ears to hear, be hearing. Be always hearing. I mean, it's an imperative, it's not a justice. Be always hearing. So if you have ears, listen. You're like, okay, Jesus, I'm listening, but what you're talking about is something that doesn't even make sense. And so now we're stuck. Right. 
Mm-hmm. Right, the reckless sowing of the sower. Right, yeah, yeah. So it's the, it's the, you know, I mean, it depends. If you use, I obviously I'm using the theory of parables that there's a uh, an earthly story that has a strange event in it that causes you to listen more closely because you realize it's not about sowing. And this is the, you know, when you look at this, uh, the two things that could be seen as the strangeness would be one, the reckless sowing. The other thing that could be seen strange is the amount of yield, a hundredfold. One seed producing a hundredfold. That might be the other strange thing. But either of those things would lead you into thinking, I need to, I need to know something more. So that the, the interesting thing is, is that what the disciples do is they ask Jesus what the parable meant. So we talked about what are parables, and then I said we would also focus on how do they function. This would be my argument as to what the primary function of parables are. Okay, I'm going to say there's a primary function and a secondary function. The secondary function you're not going to like. The primary function you're going to like. So let's start with the one you like so you like me, and then I can give you the one you don't like. So the primary function of a parable is to draw people closer to Jesus. It tells a story that you don't necessarily get so that because you don't get it, you come to him and ask him, what does this thing mean? And now... In a relationship with Jesus, you're going to hear the meaning of the parable, and you're going to be following Jesus throughout his ministry until you ultimately see what he has come to do, which has to do with your salvation, right? So, you know, I mean, I, 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 you've got the Son of God taking on flesh— and he's going to be crucified and rise from the dead. That's, that's really kind of hard to understand. So let's start with something you know about, sowing seed. But there's going to be one little detail that's really bizarre. And then you're going to come and ask me, well, what's going on with this parable? I'm going to explain it to you. And now you're going to continue following me until ultimately, ultimately, you see the purpose of my entire ministry. You realize that I am the Son of God that I have all power, and that I have willingly set aside all power, that I might die and rise again for your salvation. And so it's this, it's this invitation into a relationship with Jesus. So, so for me, I like to think of parables as verbal miracles. <laughs> this is what Jesus was doing in his miracles. He would heal your child, raise your child from the dead. That doesn't save you. Your child's going to die again, but he raises your child from the dead, starts a relationship with you so that you follow him, and now you ultimately receive that salvation. So on the last day when you are raised from the dead, you're welcomed into his kingdom. So, so miracles kind of work this way. Parables are this verbal miracle. They're the strange saying that doesn't make sense, so it invites you to come closer to Jesus and figure out what's going on, that he might reveal the kingdom to you. So that's the primary purpose. And notice how this plays itself out in the rest of the verses. His disciples asked him, this is verse 9, his disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, 
the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. So notice this. The parable invites a relationship with Jesus where now when you come and ask him what this means, he answers. He doesn't say to you, oh, you can't understand the mysteries of God. No, the mysteries of God have been given to you. And now he's going to explain this to them. So we will skip the next little piece. We'll get back to that. That's the one you don't want to hear. And we'll start at 13. So notice how Jesus explains the parable. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. So the disciples who ask learn that this is not about sowing. This is about the ministry of the word. This is about God's word being liberally, liberally spread to all nations. Liberally spread to all nations. You know, there's some people in my life I kind of wonder, you know, I don't know if I should share the word of God with them because they're just not ready yet, right? They're not ready yet. Well, who am I to determine if somebody's ready or not to hear the word of God? You know, you're just, you know, you're just too attached to your kids and doing all sorts of stuff on weekends. There's no way, there's no way you're going to give all that up to come to church. I'll, I'll wait. I'll wait till you get through this, right? Or I'll wait till something awful happens in your life, some tragedy happens, and then I'll swoop in with the word of God because now you're ready. Well, the parable is saying, no, you're just throwing it out there. We're throwing that word to everyone. And some's going to fall on soil where people will receive it with joy and then they'll fade away. And others are going to, people are going to be drawn into it and then the worries of life are going to take them away. But do not be concerned. This is the way of the kingdom. You cast that word out to everybody and God will take care of the faith, right? So we just are spreading that word liberally. So that's what Jesus is asking the disciples to think about. Now, why would this be helpful for them as they're following Jesus in his ministry? Why is this some piece of information that they might need? Yeah. Yeah, I remember. I, I remember once I was asked. Um, I was in as a church in Chicago. I was asked to write bulletin blurbs for a mission, right? And so they, they, we were. It was English district, and they were going to have these bulletin blurbs. And every church would get this little thing to put in the bulletin about mission. And so I wrote some. They didn't use a single one. They didn't use a single one because, well, they weren't exactly happy. I mean, I just kind of said, you know, you tell somebody about the faith and then they never do anything about it. I mean, that's what my life has been like. And I mean, so that's what it, so I was trying to normalize the experience a lot of us have. 
where we share the faith with people and nothing happens. If the only story we ever tell is of sharing the faith with somebody next to you on the airplane and they're baptized by the time they land on the ground, if that's the only story you tell, then what happens? I'm on the airplane. I share the faith with somebody. They put their earbuds in and say, keep that stuff to yourself. And then I'm like, okay, I guess I shouldn't be sharing the faith. I don't have the gift of evangelism, right? I'm not going to share the faith. No. Jesus normalizes the rejection of his word that will happen. That doesn't stop you from sowing. You keep sowing. Did you have your hand up? Right. Right. Right, right. Right, right. And he will give you the words to say. A wonderful thing to remember on Pentecost is the Holy Spirit empowering us, giving us the words to say, even in troubling times. And you notice how the the language Jesus uses about the, the seed growing, he uses that language of testing, right? It's tested, and then he talks about persevering, right? So it's not going to be easy. Listening to the Word of God, studying the Word of God, holding on to that Word of God when everything else in the world is telling you this is foolishness, it's not going to be easy, right? And so Jesus kind of normalizes this pattern where people might reject the Word, do you think that the disciples saw people rejecting Jesus' word in the ministry? Right. When all of the leaders of the church are condemning the guy you're following, <laughs> you know, this kind of helps you understand, okay, so these soils, right, these soils, might re they might be rejecting the word that I'm sharing, right? Okay, so that's the, the, the good purpose of the parable. What's the primary purpose of parables? One-third of his ministry, Jesus is teaching in parables. Why is he doing that? Why doesn't he just say what he means? Well, he doesn't say what he means because you may not understand it. So he tells you a story you think you know, and then something weird is in it. So you come to him and you ask him for more information. He develops a relationship with you, teaches you more, draws you closer into the kingdom where you now see him die, rise again, and ascend into heaven and send the Holy Spirit, right? So that's the good news. Now, the secondary purpose of parables. This is verse 10. The disciples ask him what this parable meant. He says, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables so that. Okay, so this is intentional. Jesus has a reason he speaks to others in parables. I'm giving the kingdom to you guys. To others, I'm talking in parables. And why? So that those seeing, they may not see. Though hearing, they may not understand. What does that mean? What? Yeah, so Jesus is tapping into prophecy here, right? He's tapping into prophecy. And where is this language coming from? Anybody have a... 
Isaiah chapter 6, right? So this is one of our favorite chapters from Isaiah, right? Isaiah's in the temple. He's in, and the, the robe of Yahweh filled, just the train of the robe of Yahweh fills the temple, and he's in utter awe at the majesty of God. And he says, behold, I am a, a sinful person. Woe is me, I am unclean. And an angel comes and grabs a coal of fire and touches his lips and purifies him, right? So you've got this human figure, Isaiah, who's being called to prophesy. Now let's look at Isaiah 6 and let's see what that call entails. Uh, so Isaiah 6. This is uh, page 681 in that red Bible, Isaiah 6. Oh, I'm sorry. And um, Isaiah says in verse 8b, I said, here am I, send me. And he said, so this is God talking to Isaiah, go and tell this people, be ever hearing. Now remember, that's the command Jesus gave, right? He who has ears to hear, be ever hearing. So Isaiah says to the people, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed or saved. So what does this sound like? Isaiah's told to do. I mean, we always love, you know, for ordinations, they often use this text from Isaiah, here am I, send me, send me, but they never read this part. Because <laughs> what are they sending Isaiah to do? To condemn the people, to judge them, to judge them ultimately, so that they hear, they see, but they do not understand. Because if you didn't understand, you would return and be saved. This is ultimate judgment. Okay, so you're a new candidate for the ministry. God says, you know, I need somebody to go. You're like, here I am. And then God says, okay, make their hearts dull. Make their minds idiotic. Make their eyes blind. Harden them. Because if they were to hear, they would turn and be saved. What would be your response? Probably the exact way. If you didn't say, see you later, your response would be exactly what Isaiah says. He says in verse 11, then I answered, for how long, O Lord, how long will I be judging people? How long do I have to do this? And here's God's answer. And he answered, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitants until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And now here's just a little glimpse of hope. And though a tenth remains in the land, take the hope away, it will again be laid waste. <laughs> but as the terebrinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. 
So how long does Isaiah engage in this ministry of judgment? Until everything's gone. Till the Babylonians have come in, wiped out your cities, taken your wives and daughters captive as slaves, and deported you to a whole nother place and left everything in ruins. Keep hiding what it is you're saying from the people until this happens to them. And when everything, when everything is laid waste, what is left? A holy stump, right? A holy seed. Now turn to verse chapter 11 in Isaiah. 11 verse 1, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, and from his roots a branch will bear fruit. So this ministry, this prophetic ministry of judgment, is going to continue until everything is destroyed. And when everything is destroyed, there will be a stump, and out of that stump will come new life. So here's my thought about the ministry of Jesus and what's happening. Jesus is preaching in parables primarily, primarily to bring people into the kingdom. But he is also judging Israel that has turned its back on God. And so he's preaching in parables to hide the meaning from people. And you say, well, how long is he going to do that? Well, he's going to do that until everything is destroyed. Jesus, is Israel reduced to one person? When is everything destroyed? What? Well, before that, in the ministry of Jesus, when is everything destroyed? When he's hanging on a cross. When the, the, the Holy Son of God is condemned and erased, canceled, completely destroyed. And after that comes the resurrection, comes the small glimpse of new life. So the parables, have you ever, have you ever found it strange that one third of Jesus's teaching is in parables, right? One third. How many parables are in the letters of the Apostle Paul? None. How many are in Peter? None. How many are in James? None. No parables being told by the church, and yet the Lord of the church did one third of his ministry in parables. Why? Because the parables were this strange language that would invite people who didn't understand the mysteries of the kingdom into a relationship with Jesus. And then when he died, they would understand the secrets of the mystery of the kingdom. It has now been revealed that the Son of Man came not to condemn, but to save. 
that he gave his life as a ransom for many, and that he has risen now to rule over the people and extend his kingdom of salvation to the ends of the earth. If you had said this stuff early on, nobody would have believed it. But after his death and resurrection, suddenly you see the kingdom. So the first purpose of the parable is to invite people into that mission. The second purpose is to judge Israel. But after Jesus has been annihilated and risen again, now there are no more secrets. The kingdom is known. And so the apostles don't tell parables. What do they do? They proclaim the mystery of salvation. You read Paul's letter to the Ephesians. You read his letter to the Colossians. He constantly talks about the mystery of salvation. In Corinthians, we're called the stewards of the mysteries of God, right? Salvation has now been revealed, and it's being made known publicly to everybody. There are no more parables. So parables are this very strange verbal thing that happens in the ministry of Jesus to invite some people in to judge other people until he dies. And now when it's all revealed, everybody's preaching the mysteries of the kingdom. That would be how I would read it. Yeah. Well, he gives the parable to whom? In, in the beginning of eight, who does, who's, who's gathered around him? Let's go back to Luke 8. Because you pointed out a very important point. So Luke 8, he tells the parables to who? Verse 4, right? A large crowd gathering from town after town. So the parable is told to a massive crowd. The explanation goes to who? To the disciples. And what do the disciples do to get the explanation? They simply ask. They simply come to Jesus and say, what does this mean? Yes and no. That's the fun thing, right? So, so sometimes when you look at a parable, um, so like, for example, you've got this parable, you're later going to have it in here, uh, of the, uh, it's sometimes called the importunate widow, the widow who's constantly begging this judge to give her justice against her adversaries, and the judge is a rotten person, and he finally gives it to her. Um, at the end of that parable, we're told by Luke, Jesus said this, that they might always pray and never give up. And so we're told why Jesus is doing this. Then he explains the parable of the uh, workers in the vineyard. He explains the parable of the, the wheat and the tares, that the, the field is the world, the wheat are the sons of the kingdom, the tares are the sons of the evil one. So We've got examples of Jesus explaining the parables, but he explains them to the disciples. He tells them to the crowds. And then he sometimes tells his disciples parables too, but yeah. Is that helpful or? Yeah. So. I would say no, I like the question, but I would say, I, I, I mean, I'm, I mean, I think what it, if, if we did bring it into the sermon, we would end up, we would end up seeing that the same words can be law or gospel, right? Because this parable 
invites some in and causes others to walk away. Right. 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 Yeah. See, this is the thing. This is my point about, thank you for bringing this up. I teach, I teach preaching, right? So, um, preachers love the idea that Jesus did one third of his teaching in parables, because what this gives preachers the ability to do is tell any silly story they want and say, well, I'm just doing what Jesus did. Right? I'm just telling silly stories, right? So you've got a lot. I know, Kim, you're not happy with that. I agree. But, but so you've got you've got a lot of homiletics books or preaching books that are written are talking about telling stories and, you know, Jesus preached in parables. I think that is a really bad justification for preaching in parables because the whole point of parables is that these mysteries that are being told until the kingdom is revealed. And once that kingdom is revealed, now you're telling the secrets of the kingdom. Now, I, I'm going to argue for other reasons to use stories and sermons, but not because Jesus told parables. I don't think that's a good reason, because I think what we see is there's a time of ministry where Israel's being judged, and Jesus teaches in parables, judges Israel, and when everything's eliminated, he rises again, and now everything's being made known, and he sends his disciples to make it known out to the ends of the earth. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, I know. I agree with you. But now those writers of those books are going to say, but isn't that good that they're going home thinking about what you said? And they're going to come back the next week for the rest of it. Yeah. Oh, he was saying, you know, that, that uh, he, he wants to know what you're talking about rather than having a story that's just a mystery to you. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, did you know, yeah, everybody, anybody hear of what would Jesus do? You ever heard of that? These bracelets that people are wearing, what would Jesus do? When do you think that started? When, when do you think it started? What? So somebody would think 70s or 80s? Actually, the 1890s. The 1890s, there was a pastor by the name of Sheldon Pastor Sheldon, who was preaching, he had Wednesday night services, he had Sunday morning services, and then he had a Sunday night service. And the Sunday night service, he decided to start telling stories. And so he had a whole sermon series of stories of this congregation where this beggar came in and nobody attended to the beggar. The beggar dies and the congregation is judged because that was Jesus coming back. And so now the congregation is like, well, what should we do? And they say, well, we should always ask, what would Jesus do? So this is back in the 1890s, and then there was a newspaper in Topeka, Kansas, that allowed Sheldon to be the editor. For, so for one whole week, he ran the newspaper as Jesus would run it. <laughs> so they took out the boxing scores. They um, had, a, had a food drive. I mean, it's just craziness, right? So, the, um, so this is that, that telling stories and sermons has been around for a long time. Uh, it's not the way that uh, that I would understand it. Uh, the parables of Jesus are this one portion of his ministry, inviting people into a deeper relationship with him where they'll learn more, and then judging others until he dies and rises, and now the kingdom's going to be made known. Any other thoughts on the hearing of the word? That's what this has been about.
Right. So this is why we come to understand what the scriptures say. Notice how the, um, in case we were dull-witted and not getting this idea, look how the next parable of a lamp on a stand clarifies what I've just said. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a drawer or puts it under a bed. Instead, he puts it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed, nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. So even though the parables are hidden now, there's nothing that's hidden now that ultimately, after my resurrection, won't be made known. Nothing that's concealed now that won't be revealed. Now listen to the next line. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. I have a parable. I'm wondering what it means. I go to Jesus with my parable, and I say, what does this mean? And he says, here's what the parable means. So I have, and I'm given more, right? Next line. <laughs> Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, will be taken away from him. For me, this is how I would understand that, these are the religious leaders of Israel. They have the scriptures. They have the scriptures. But even what they think they have is going to be taken away. That's the judging portion. So you see the primary function is to tell a story. Something's weird about it. You want to know more? You ask me. You come. You say, what does this mean? You have the parable? Here, I'm going to give you more. Here's what the parable means. It's all about sowing. It's about proclaiming the word of God. And don't worry about the hearing. God's going to take care of that. I have other people who have the scriptures. Jesus tells this parable. I don't care anything about what he's saying. I've got the scriptures. That's going to take me to heaven. And if that's how you're living with the scriptures, then even what you have is going to be taken away. Because the scriptures testify to Christ. And if you reject Christ but hold on to the scriptures, then you ain't got the scriptures. At least you don't have them the way they should be had because they're testifying to Jesus. And so even what you have is ultimately going to be taken away from you. So kind of have this, uh, it's a, a little, it's interesting. The parable of the sower appears in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And each time it appears, um, it gives an example of how Jesus does his ministry. And so when you said, you know, does he, does he tell the parables, does he explain that all the parables are just this one? He does explain others, but I do think it's a model. It's a model for us that for those who are outside the kingdom, it's going to be crazy stuff. They don't understand it. If they walk away, that'll be the judgment until Jesus dies and rises, and then he's going to send people with a message of the kingdom to wake them up. <laughs> uh, for those who have the parable but want to know more, Jesus is more than willing to open the door and give you more, understand the parable, join him, follow him, and at the cross, discover who he truly is, the mystery of salvation. So, any thoughts?
No, we, in the parable, were the soils receiving God's word. But after Jesus rises, he sends us out to be bearers of the word. Right. Well, I would probably see Jesus as the sower with what he's saying as the word he's proclaiming. Yes, yes, right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the uh, right, the whole idea um, that you know uh, that's also in John, where uh, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it does not produce uh, any fruit. But if it dies, and Jesus pictures himself as a grain, right? And so, yeah. Abundant, right, 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 yes, that is precisely how we should be hearing it. Yeah, I would, I, I, you know, I know we'd like to use this parable to um, divide ourselves up into various types of soil. And yes, the parable does warn against various struggles, right? But the very fact that you're here today, to me, is saying you're good soil. You're good soil. You're here, you're desiring to hear God's word, and you're bearing fruit in the kingdom. But, but sometimes people like to divide ourselves up, right? God's word is like... Right. God's word is doing this. Yeah. Yeah, we want to analyze and categorize. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Good. <laughs> Come to all all inclusive package. That's why it grows in my sidewalk. Okay. So good. Now I know. I have the answer. Thank you. Okay, well, thank you very much. Uh, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be and abide with us all. Amen. Amen.